Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't live a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. This is Kat, your host, and this week I'm by myself. And I want to be really honest about this story. I said from the beginning that I every time I turn around, there's something else that I hear that I believe, and it conflicts with what I learned the day before. And to be honest, I am not any closer now than I was when the story started. The Cronin family, Debbie's family believes that John may have had something to do with Debbie's disappearance. John's family doesn't believe at all that he had anything to do with their disappearance and that Debbie just walked away. So I'm left in the middle wondering what could have happened. And if I were being completely honest, I feel like both sides of the family are open to any outcome. Both of them know that whether they've believed what they believed for the last 40 years, that the Cronins could find out that Debbie did walk away. The Kidwells could find out that John had everything to do with their disappearance. And I feel like both families are kind of amazing in that way that they're both willing to accept either outcome. But for me to finish this job, I have to look at every different possibility. And I've been really curious about Debbie's epilepsy and not really just her epilepsy, but the medications she was on and what they could do to you. I did a Google search and it gives you a little bit of information, but I decided to talk to a a doctor and find out what he had to say about the medication that she takes and what could have happened to her during the grandma seizure that she had back in January, five months before she disappeared. So the next recording is a conversation I had. My friend Christy hooked me up with a a doctor that she knew and he was kind enough to take a few moments out of his vacation to talk to me. So that's what you're going to hear next. Did Christy tell you why I wanted to talk to you? Just a little bit, but if you can give me a little more information, that'd be great. Okay, um, I'm doing a story on a woman who went missing with her two sons back in 1979. Okay. She was, all the paperwork says that she had a nervous condition. What I found out was that she had epilepsy. Oh, okay. And her epilepsy was brought on by traumatic instances okay does that make sense uh it could um you know epilepsy is essentially a condition where they develop seizures and things and uh, it can have its onset but things in the environment can certainly trigger those seizures the epileptic uh phenomena they get and then what happens after that is they can Behavioral changes can occur after that. So, okay, so that was that was uh, my second question. Was first the first question was um, she was prescribed Dilantin and phenobarbital. Okay, is that typical for? Now this was in the seventies. Yes. Yeah, that was very typical. That's those are old um, anti-epileptic uh, type medications that were available at the time. Um, it's, you know, I'm not an expert in neurology, but uh, those are rarely used nowadays. They have different types of anesthesia medicines nowadays, but that would be very typical. And what happens, the police file says that she was not faithful 
to her doctor's appointments or to her medications? What would yeah. happen to a person if they went on and off those things? Well, the first thing we'd want to do is find out why she wasn't, you know, following medication, the, the compliance with the medications. That'd be very, very important because it could be her mental status or issues related to her epilepsy and the seizures, et cetera, that had clouded her um, ability to follow instructions, et cetera. Um, so that would be an important issue. But it's, it's very, very important um, to stay on the prescribed regimen because if one starts, stops, starts, and stops, that very often could make uh, these seizures come on and, um, you know, have further um, neurological consequences for her. What would... Now, I know that in she went missing in May. In uh, January, the prior to January, just a few months prior, she had a grand mal seizure. Okay. Would... It left her feeling depressed and sad for um, the diary said a few days. Yes. Could a grandma seizure change your mental capacity or your mental status? Yes, it, it certainly could, um, you know, depending on what the cause was. And we have to presuppose that she was evaluated for why she was having these epileptic seizures because there's, you know, there's a number of things that could cause it. But certainly this, we call it the post-epidal state or the post-seizure state, uh, can certainly affect behavior. Um, so that certainly could be contributing. And how long does that typically last, though? Uh, I would be kind of uh, making a guess. But, you know, that, that could probably be, particularly if she develops a condition of depression afterwards, that, that could last quite a long time. Okay. Um, my other question is, if she is taking di the doctor was very clear that she was not faithful to her medication regimen. Yes. That she would go on and off of it. Um, the other thing is, is that I know that I don't know during that time, but she was known to also smoke marijuana. Would that play a part in the di with the dilantin and the phenobarbital? Uh, would that do I anything? Would, yeah, I wouldn't know that. But anytime you add that to the mix, it certainly could uh, potentially contribute to changes in the drug metabolism of, of either the dilantin or the phenobarbital. It's a okay. possibility. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and of course, with marijuana, it's a mood-altering drug, so that certainly could affect, potentially could affect her judgment, and maybe that's not contributed to her poor compliance of the anti-seizure medications. Oh. Oh. Well, I didn't put that together. Yeah, one of, one of the important things that we try to do in, in practice is try to figure out why people are not taking their medicines. Um, it's, yeah. it's kind of a tricky business, but, you know, and, and the, the reasons for that are just, uh, you know, multiple and numerous. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes physicians don't take enough time to really pinpoint why the compliance issue is a concern. For people with seizures, it's very, very important that they stay on a regular dose of medications uh, and keep the, the blood levels of those medications at an appropriate level that would at least decrease their risk of uh, subsequent seizure activity. And seizure activity, um, if it escalates to the point, like I don't know a lot about seizures, but if it escalates to a point of having grand mal seizures, isn't that kind of yeah. the 
highest level of seizure that you can have? It absolutely is. It's, it can be very dangerous if they happen to have a grand mal seizure when they're driving or doing any other kind of uh, hazardous activity. It, it could result in great bodily injury to the person that can involve their death or and anyone else that might be uh, with them at the time. Right. So literally, they, 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 they stop functioning for that time. It's very, very, uh, it's a scary situation. It's very, very serious. Okay. But the fact, I had read something about Dilantin and phenobarbital that if you stay on that consistently, it can cause mental status changes and behavioral changes. But you're saying also going on and off of it can do the same thing. It's a possibility, yes, and indeed they're like all these medications because they're basically chemicals that we're putting in our body. They're not natural. They certainly can have um, what's called adverse drug responses or adverse drug effects. That's why the, there was great effort to move beyond the you know these these first generation anti um, epileptic medications and move to a more modern therapy, primarily because of effectiveness and potentially less adverse effects. Okay. I guess what we're trying to find out was that she was a, a good wife and a good mother and she was a free spirit and we're trying to figure out if if there's even a possibility that she just kind of walked away. Yes. So I guess when I heard that she had had a grandma seizure and that she wasn't faithful to her medication and what her medication was, I was curious to ask someone who, an expert, if... if that can play a part in in maybe someone having an, a behavioral change so extreme that that they would walk away from their life. Like, yeah, I wouldn't. I actually wouldn't rule it out. Um, okay. You know, I don't. Those meds are very old, and uh, rarely do neurologists actually use those nowadays. Okay. Um, but certainly, if she's had a history of a grand mal seizure and particularly if she develops behavioral changes or a reaction to the things that have happened to her, particularly starting to develop profound depression, which certainly is a possibility. You know, that, that certainly could be a contributor uh, to walking away, if you will, or, okay. or making major changes. Okay. I guess the other thing, too, is that she had a diary that she wrote in every day. And, or not every day, quite often. And she would write long stories. And towards the end, before um, she disappeared, the writing changed and became just like one sentence. Could the drug she was on for her seizure medication cause that extreme of a change in personality? I wouldn't be able to tell you specifically, but it certainly is a possibility. Okay. That's all I want to say. The combination of the medications potentially could cause that, yes. Okay. That's, that, and that may just indicate that she's decompensating, you know. Uh, up to that time, her diary was full and she was describing stories, etc. And now suddenly things have changed, so her executive function and her cognitive functioning sounds like it's, it's really starting to, to decay in that setting. Interesting. Thank you for your help. Oh my, oh my pleasure. That is very helpful to me. I, I, I'm, I don't. I, words are hard. I guess. Uh-huh. I guess I'm not looking to solve a mystery or anything, but I am trying to look at every single side of this. Their bodies were never recovered. They oh. have never been heard from again. 
So it could be it could be that foul play, or it could yeah. be just that she walked away. So yeah. I guess when I heard that she had the grandma seizure, I just was kind of like, Meh, maybe we should look into what could happen from not only the grandma seizure but the medications she was on. And then when I heard that she wasn't faithful to them, it made me very yeah. curious. But where was the, where was she actually living? In Ventura the County. Oh, I see. Her hospital was, um, her doctor was at Santa Monica Hospital. Oh, well, they're usually pretty, pretty solid folks out there. And she was a nurse, actually. Oh, really? So she would have known the dangers of not taking her medication, but her doctor said it twice during different interviews. Two different doctors said that she was not faithful to her medication. Yeah, that's a big red flag if a, if a medical professional is non-compliant and they know the consequences of non-compliance. That really puts up a big red flag. Of their mental state. Yeah. Okay. Plus, you know, I, I'm not supposing and I'm speculating, but obviously nurses that work within the medical professional environment also have access to other medications, etc. Right. I know. That was so, another thought know, I had. Also, you know, that, that's been, and particularly in the 70s, when I think control over those kinds of things was probably less rigorous than it is today. Well, I, she actually had stopped being a nurse for years. Oh, I see. Before she disappeared. She had, um, I, she went to become a waitress. She was a, a nurse and she quit to become a waitress at a cafe. Oh, it's not interesting. It's very interesting, but there's two ways to look at it. Like what, why would you do that? And then the other thing is that she had two twin boys at home, babies at home. So maybe it was just, you know, easier to be a waitress than it was to be a nurse and work in a hospital. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But everything with this story has come from two different sides that you could look at. I mean, everything. Did she, did she have a troubled relationship with her spouse? She did not. Not that we can tell. Every every uh, every eyewitness account says that they had a happy marriage. They were a happy couple. Her family says that she loved her husband dearly and he loved her. I, there's, I can't find one negative thing as far as their relationship goes. Yeah, this is fascinating. It is really, really fascinating. I can find a whole bunch of negative things that happened prior and happened after, but I can't find, there's not one person that says anything negative about them as a couple. And her whole entire diary is very positive about her husband and her kids. Hmm. But the, the, the detectives were very, very concerned about the last three entries. Mm-hmm. That they were completely different writing style. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. It suggests to me that somehow a different personality emerged with her or that is somebody else writing those entries. Right. Is epilepsy <laughs> a genetic thing? Pardon? Is epilepsy a genetic thing? Uh, it, it can be, yes. Uh, often, though, it's due to brain lesions. You know, if you have tumors and, and other things, or if someone's an alcoholic, sometimes what happens is they can get post-alcohol seizure. There, there's just a whole number of causes for epilepsy, but okay. it can be genetic. It can be genetic-related, absolutely. Okay, I do know that it was, they actually reference it um, as a nervous condition. It's not listed anywhere as epilepsy. It's listed as a nervous condition. And, and again, in the 70s, the diagnostic listings were less, um, probably less rigorous than we do today. Okay. 
Because they said she would always get them if she was afraid of something. If someone drove too fast, if you almost got in a car accident, if some mm-hmm. uh, stressors would cause her to have a, a seizure. Yes, yes. And that's normal? There are conditions called pseudo-seizures, too, where people actually have some kind of manifestation that looks like a seizure. But it's actually, it's kind of a conversion reaction where they're having a physical phenomenon. Looks like a physical illness, but it's actually a mental condition that's being kind of transformed, if you will, into a physical presentation. Oh, wow. I'm a hypochondriac. You might not want to tell me these things. <laughs> but you're doing good work. <laughs> yeah. You're putting in good work. Hopefully, yeah. It's so funny. I, like, I, I can't watch any of the emergency shows or... Yes. Yeah. I can't read the side effects on medication. So kind of weird that I'm, you know, digging deep into this. But I just... I don't know. I Something, something tells me that we should look at everything. And this was just one of the things that popped out that I thought... Maybe we should at least consider that medication could have changed her mental status in a way. Sure. And since these are old medicines and we don't often study these, uh, what I can do to assist is have a look in the literature, in the old literature, to see if there's anything else that, you know, might support something that could um, indicate the use of these medicines might have uh, contributed to these changes that occurred. Okay. Thank you so much. Oh. You're helpful. Very, very helpful. I hope that you enjoy the rest of your vacation. Before I let you go, can you tell my listeners what your name is and what kind of doctor you are? Yes. Thank you so much for inviting me. My name is Dr. Anthony F. Feyrick. I am a uh, internal medicine doctor and a specialist in endocrinology and diabetes. I'm currently an associate professor of medicine at the University of California Riverside School of Medicine. If you find out any information, please let me know. I will do that. I'll do some uh, detective work myself. This is fascinating. Yay, thank you. Thanks again. Thank you for your work. Have a good rest of the weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you to Dr. Feirich for the information that he gave us. Although I don't think that Deborah's personality changed so dramatically that she would have disappeared because of her seizure or because of her medications. But I think that with this kind of situation, we have to look at all possible scenarios. And she was on pretty strong medications. And she does mention, there are several mentions of it in different places, that she was depressed after her grandma seizure in January. So even though I don't necessarily believe and I don't know why that her personality could have changed so much that she would have ran away from her husband or taken her kids and not spoken to her family again. Again, I just think it's important to look at all different angles. The other thing that I wanted to talk about today was I finally got the newspaper articles, or at least a couple of them, um, compliments of Ron Kidwell because he saved them. And I wanted to read them to you. I'm going to put them on the website, on the episode webpage too. But I wanted to read to you what I do have the first one that I have is the Daily Breeze, and it or no, this is the Evening Outlook, and it's dated from May seventeenth, nineteen seventy nine. And I think that was part of the problem when I was searching for the newspapers. I was looking for papers, or I was having the librarians, so sweet of them, to look for newspaper articles starting at the day that they disappeared on May fifth or May fourth, and they had searched up to ten days in this article that I have didn't even come out until May 17th. So that was 13 days after they disappeared or something. So the first article says, women 
twin sons missing for two weeks. A former Santa Monica resident and her three-year-old twin sons have been missing since May 4th. When they were last seen at Los Angeles International Airport, the Ventura County Sheriff's Department reported. Detective Bob Brooks, and I'm sorry, it's really hard to read, said 27-year-old Deborah Kidwell, and she did, I keep saying she's 26, but she did turn 27 on May 27th. So when she went missing, she was 26, but that month she turned 27. It says 27-year-old Deborah Kidwell of Thousand Oaks and her sons Jackson and Josh were last seen about 11 p.m. May 4th at the check-in counter at Continental Airlines. Brooks said Mrs. Kidwell, who is epileptic and on medication, and her sons were to have boarded a flight soon after to visit her mother in Pennsylvania. However, airline officials believe she may not have boarded the flight. Brooks said she never arrived at her mother's residence. Brooks also said he has been unable to find any reason for her disappearance and the case is under investigation. Mrs. Kidwell, the wife of John Kidwell, is described as five foot three, 120 pounds, with blonde hair and hazel eyes. She was wearing blue jeans and a peach-colored sweater she was last, when she was last seen. The twins also have blonde hair. Persons with information regarding Miss Kidwell and her sons are asked to contact Brooks, and then there's a number for the Ventura County Detective, the Ventura County Sheriff's Office. So I don't know if this is the first article. I kind of probably think that it is. And this was probably one of the ones that caused a lot of people to start calling in to the department trying to report that they'd seen her. Which, by the way, I, we have other pictures of her, but she's really, really pretty. And you'll see this from the front page. And this was on June 7th, 1979, the other article that he sent me. And it says, medicine, time are running out. An epileptic epileptic woman and her three-year-old twin sons have been reported missing for more than a month since they were dropped off at Los Angeles International Airport. There are fears that the medicine the woman carried to treat her epilepsy is running out. She's due to run out about now, said John Kidwell, of his wife, Deborah, a former Santa Monica resident. Uh, Mrs. Kidwell and her sons, Jackson and Josh, all of Thousand Oaks, were last seen by her husband at about 11 p.m. May 4th at the Continental Airlines check-in counter. Mrs. Kidwell and her sons were to be boarding a flight to visit her mother in Pennsylvania. So same as the other article. The airline has said that Mrs. Kidwell and the boys were not on the flight. The case is being investigated by the Ventura County Sheriff's Department. Detectives working on the case, and this is in quotes, have a strong hunch that she's down here in the beach area. Kidwell said because of a number of Redondo Beach references found in Miss Kidwell's diary. Though their family though, sorry, though their family doctor tends to disagree, Kidwell believes that his wife is suffering from a memory lapse. Because Mrs. Kidwell is an epileptic, she must take daily doses of phenobarbital and dilantin, of which she carried a month's supply. Mrs. Kidwell, who does not wear a necklace identifying her as an epileptic, could, poss- could suffer a possible seizure once her medicine is run out. Mrs. Kidwell, 27, 5 foot 3, 120 pounds with blonde hair and hazel eyes. She was last seen wearing blue jeans and a peach-colored sweater when last seen. The twins have blonde hair and caps on their front teeth. Persons with information about Mrs. Kidwell 
and her sons are asked to contact either, and then I can't read the name. It looks like Jose Podolin or Detective Backman, and then their phone numbers. Um, the the byline under that, or the little not byline, the information in the picture just says Deborah Deborah, which is spelled differently than I've ever seen it, and her twin sons Jackson's and Jackson and Josh have been missing for more than a month. Mrs. Kidwell, who requires regular medication, had about a month, one month supply when last seen. So those are the only two articles that I uh, got from Ron Kidwell. I haven't been able to find any other additional articles from during that time. I did find an article from five years later, from 1983, which I will also put on our website, it doesn't help a lot, the articles. I didn't expect them to help a lot. But I am interested because they did mention the diary. And they thought that she may have stayed in the beach area because of what she said in her diary. And next week, I'm hoping, either next week is going to be our last episode where we're going to recap everything that we've learned. Or, fingers crossed, everybody keep their fingers crossed, uh, that Jocelyn, Debbie's niece, receives a copy of the diary. The sheriff's department had told her that they felt that if there was no evidentiary value to the diary, then they would let the family at least have a copy of it. So they have some of her writings and information. Um, she was an artist. I kind of probably, I picture she probably drew pictures and everything in her diary. So I, it'll be an amazing thing for the family to get back. And I'm hoping that if they do get it back, then we'll be able to talk more personally about what the diary says. And if there's any information in there that might lead us to a clue of where she could have gone or maybe what was going through her head. And so I hope that we get that. I also have an interview with Tyler Kidwell, who was John's nephew. And I was going to put it on this episode, but for some reason I can't get it to play. So I need producer Haley to help me. And if it won't play, I'm hoping, if you're listening, Tyler, I hope that you'll let me talk to you again. Because I would like to, again cover all angles about both John and Deborah, because I think it's important if we're ever going to find anything out, which I don't know that we will, that we have, that we've looked at all angles and we've looked at both sides. John allegedly was the prime suspect in the disappearance of Deborah and Joshua and Jackson. Witnesses and others have led us to believe that maybe she did walk away. Maybe she joined a cult. Maybe she met someone else it seems, I guess it seems unbelievable both ways. My brain doesn't work that way to think that a man would be able to murder his wife and his children, even though I know don't, you don't have to send me articles about all the time it's happened, but the people that knew John and even Debbie's family says they can't imagine him ever hurting his children. And I mean, maybe it was an accident with Deborah. Maybe she had a seizure. Maybe she hit her head. Maybe they were drinking. I mean, anything could have happened. But no one can believe that he could have hurt his children willingly or decidedly to injure his baby sons. And then on the other hand, it's hard to imagine that she would have walked away and never had any contact with her family again. So I've said this from the beginning. Every time I feel like I know something, I learn something else that makes me Decided I don't know anything. But for now, we're going to keep plugging away. 
And I hope that we get the copy of the diary and that we can at least see more information or read more information about who Deborah was during that time before she disappeared. In the meantime, please share this podcast. Go and like and share the Facebook page, Find Deborah Lynn and Sons, and help us get the story out there. If there's a chance that Deborah and or those boys survived beyond the night of May 4th, 1979, there may be someone out there that knows something. There may be someone out there, for all we know, that they could be listening to this now, or even the boys could be listening to this now and have always thought, maybe always thought something was weird about their family dynamic or heard things or were curious about things. So the only way that we're going to be able to find any answers, aside from DNA, which we are in the process of doing, is that if someone knows something or someone hears something or someone's listening and, and they remember something from 1979 or even something that someone said recently to help us out and share the podcast, share the Facebook page, follow on Instagram and help us get the story out. Maybe with all your help, we can end a chapter for this family, these families, both families, and help them get answers that they've been searching for for the last 40 years. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. Be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode. Until next time, I'm Kat, and remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost. Attention all insurance agents with a current life or medical insurance license. Select Quote has immediate openings for licensed insurance agents looking to build a rewarding career. And you can even work from the comfort of your home. Our average employee makes $75,000. And our top performers make well over $150,000 per year. Yes, I said $150,000. Insurance professionals, are you sick of looking and paying for leads? Would you like to have more than one product or carrier solution to offer? Do you wish that your entrepreneurial spirit and hard work was rewarded? If you answered yes and you feel you have what it takes select quote is looking for you with a fun and fast work environment multiple products pre-qualified leads and great training this is an opportunity you do not want to miss apply online at selectquote.com backslash careers or call 800-896-9009 to learn more select quote is hiring right now don't miss out call 800-896-9009 or visit selectquote.com backslash careers call 800-896-9009 800-896-9009